you would turn with me again to Judges chapter 8. I titled this, Lord Calls Us to Finish Well. If I mentioned the name Robert Robinson, it would probably be unfamiliar to most of us here tonight. But if I mentioned that hymn, Come Thou Fount, you would know immediately that great hymn and uh, you would recognize it. It's said that those word, the, well, those words in the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The story of Robert Robinson who wrote that is told that one day while he was riding on a stagecoach, a lady was humming that song and she looked at him and she said, what do you think of the, uh, the hymn that I'm humming? And his response was, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I'd give a thousand worlds if I had feelings to enjoy them that I had then. That's the same thing that we see in the last days of Gideon. I'm sure that at his death, Gideon might have very well said the same thing. No sooner had Gideon defeated the Midianites and there was peace and rest, trouble began again. Look at verse 22 here in Judges 8. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, or the victims, those that they had had uh, taken. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, well, we'll willingly give give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. And beside the chains, they were uh, about their camel's necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. And thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness Forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubal, the son of Joash, had been Gideon, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and he was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abiezerites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead 
Now look at this. That the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal bereth their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. And neither showed they kindness to the house of Gideon according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. You know, in a short span of time, Gideon had gone from being a fearful farmer into a courageous and unrelenting warrior. We've looked over the past few weeks at his life, how the Lord used him, how the Lord victoriously conquered Midian for him. And he and his small band of 300 men defeated the Benianite army, captured their last two kings, slayed those in Israel that had refused to feed and care for his soldier. And he destroyed the, all the, the symbols, the tower that represented their self-made power. And Gideon had been so courageous and victorious that Israel desired to make him king, which he refused. He refused to rule over them. He wouldn't be their king. And he pointed Israel in the right direction. He said, the Lord shall rule over you. Well, the Lord had ruled over them and will continue to rule over them. And years later, as you'll remember, the Lord allowed Saul to be king over Israel. They always wanted a king, like every other nation. And they, the Lord allowed Saul to be their king because they rejected the Lord as their king. And sometimes God, in a way of judgment, gives folks what they want. That's why men here often pray, Lord, don't give me my way, my will. I don't want what I want. I don't want you to give me what I want. Israel didn't need a king. God was their sovereign ruler, but they rejected him time and time and time again. And eventually God gave them what they wanted. Isn't that a horrific thought? I've, that's why I've titled this, Lord Calls Us to Finish Well. May the Lord be pleased to deliver us from our way and our will. I think it's safe to say that Gideon was a type of Christ. You know, all the Old Testament types and pictures of Christ were given to glorify God in the salvation of His people by showing us something of the Savior who was to come into the world and save His people from their sin. But in many ways, the Old Testament types and pictures fail and fall short. We've seen that. And... Uh, and even in that, Christ is glorified. <laughs> How? Because no fallen man, regardless of the grace that God gives him, could perfectly picture the sinless Son of God. And in the imperfections of Old Testament pictures and types, the perfection of Christ is even more evident and more clearly seen. When you lay down a crooked stick next to a straight one, the straight one exposes the crookedness of the other. So in that sense, um, 
even these types that fall so short of Christ glorify the Lord Jesus. Now Gideon as judge and deliverer of the people is no doubt, as I said, a type of our Lord Jesus. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 33, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and he'll save us. All the judges in this book of Judges picture and typify the Lord Jesus. Gideon was no doubt a man of valor and courage and um there was none like our Lord when it when he came into the world to save his people from our sin. What a delivering judge he was. Putting away all the enemies of his people in spiritual warfare. Yes, men wanted to make Gideon an earthly king after his victories and he refused. But when men saw the Lord's miracles, they sought, the Scripture says, to take him by force to make him a king. But Christ is no earthly king. He's the king of kings. And our Lord later said, you seek me to make me king, not because you saw the miracles, but because you benefited from the miracles, eating the loaves and the fishes. You want me as your king for selfish reasons, and they did. And it's the same with Israel desiring to make Gideon king. It was obvious that he had the favor of God. I mean, who goes out and defeats 135,000 trained soldiers with 300 men? Well, I would want him as a king too if I was to have one. I'd want a man like him. And after Gideon's victory, the people were at rest for 40 years. But after Christ's victory, (laughs) his victory over sin and death and hell and the grave, his people rest forever. We're resting. (laughs) Lord, help us to rest and cause us to finish well. And as I mentioned, we know that there is no perfect representative of Christ. The best we say this often, it's so true. The best of men are men at best and, and do as men do. They sin. We all come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good. Not a single one. Our best work is filthy rags. Gideon was a man. He was an imperfect man, but... The Lord was perfect in every way. What a Savior we have. Christ is the husband of one wife, that being his bride, the church. Gideon had many wives and at least one concubine that we know of. And our Lord has one bride that's made up of a number that no man can number. And as we've seen and will continue to see, there's no place in Scripture where having more than one wife had a favorable result. Nothing against you ladies. That's just the way it is. Whether it was Abraham, Solomon, or Gideon, it never ended well. In the case of both Abraham and Gideon, their affection was strong for the sons of their concubines. You remember how Abraham loved Ishmael. And it was the same here with Gideon. It it always proved to be a problem. Both Ishmael and Abimelech were great trouble for their father. And whenever a man tries to help God out, that's usually what happens. 
always repercussions. Now, as I read these verses over several times the last few days, it seemed very apparent to me that even though Gideon refused to be Israel's king, it looked as if he was going to live like a king regardless. And let me show you why that seems obvious in reading these verses. What's the evidence? Well, Gideon seems to exercise several royal prerogatives. His actions are common to kings and rulers. First, he collects contributions, a victory tax, so to speak, a, a king's share of the bounty. A lot of kings did that. In verse 23, Gideon says, no, I won't rule over you. My son won't rule over you, but then the Lord is going to rule over you. But in verse 24, he says, however, I would desire and accept if you would give me the golden earrings of our victims. In other words, I won't be your king. God's your king, but I'll accept 1,700 shekels of gold. Secondly, Gideon here introduces a New, new religious innovations. He takes a, a lead in the matters of spiritual life of the people of God. That was something the kings were often known to do. You know, you had prophets, priests, and king, and each one had their particular office. And we know that the Lord Jesus is all three of those. He's the only one that was. But oftentimes, kings want to stick their nose in the priest business and in the prophet's business. So Gideon did the same. Thirdly, Gideon maintains a large harem and he fathers many sons by as many wives, which was a notorious practice among ancient kings. And then fourthly, what I believe to really be the crowning Evidence is what Gideon names his son born of his concubine. He names him Abimelech, which literally means my father is king. So obviously Gideon or someone thought that he was kingly. In chapter 9, verse 2, if you want to look over there, Abimelech speaks to the men of Shechem and he says, which is better for you? Is it better for all 70 of Gideon, the sons of Gideon, to rule over you or just me? After all, I'm one of you. I'm bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. And to me, that suggests that Abimelech thinks that a hereditary kingship was established which made... Abimelech feel entitled. Well, Gideon never was king, but he acted as one. And now Abimelech says, this, this thing's handed down to his son. My father was king, so I should be king. <laughs> so as the old saying go, goes, if a bird walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and lays duck eggs... It's more than likely a duck. And whether Gideon took the title of king or not, he walked like a king and he quacked like a king and he's acting like a king. Now immediately after Gideon and Israel's victory, the decline of Israel begins. And we, this, just, I mean, this is so obvious throughout this book of Judges, throughout all the Scriptures. 
Over and over again, the Lord would send a judge and Israel would deliver Israel and then the judge would die and, and they'd again fall right back into idolatry. And with the 1,700 shekels of gold that Gideon collects, he commissions the making of an ephod. And in our previous studies of Exodus, we saw that an ephod of gold and blue, purple, and scarlet was twined in fine linen, and a breastplate was made with the 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jewish historians explain that the ephod was originally constructed by Moses for Aaron, the high priest, with the Urim and the Tumen. Remember that? which was obtained uh, to, to obtain revelation from the Lord, according to these historians. It was believed that the ephod of Aaron, the high priest, was consulted in the judgment of spiritual matters. So the ephod God instructed Moses to make for the high priest was a memorial of the great salvation that God had wrought by His own sovereign hands for Israel. Well, when they left Israel, there was no doubt to, in Israel's mind or in the Egyptians' mind that the Lord had brought them out. Plague after plague at the hand of God. And then they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's heart is hardened again. He pursues after them. The Lord divides the Red Sea. Israel crosses on dry ground. <laughs> and then... The armies of Pharaoh are drowned in that same water. No doubt who delivered Israel. So uh, Gideon making uh, his ephod became a symbol or of an alternative way to approach God. Here Gideon engages in a little of do-it-yourself religion. It's an innovation of human origin. God didn't prescribe that he make this ephod. God didn't tell him to do it. God didn't approve it. This was all Gideon's idea. All human innovation in the matter of salvation, dear friends, always, always spells trouble. Here we have Gideon. He's not a priest. He's not of the tribe of Levi. He's definitely not a high priest. And he's setting up this ephod and he's saying, now if you want to come to the Lord and to know His will, we've got an alternative way. Does that sound familiar? That's what modern religion is doing today. They've made a, man, they've made a man-made way. <laughs> Look at verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city probably upon that altar that he made in, in the beginning, you remember? Even in Orphrah. And look at this. And all Israel, all Israel, went thither a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and unto his house. They made an idol out of this ephod and they worshipped it. False religion has introduced a man-made way to approach God by the work of man's hand, making another way for you to come to God and seek His will. That's what false religion is. It's another way. It's a man-made way. 
to approach God and to obtain His favor. And let me tell you, God won't have it. Won't have it. You see, it's hard to finish well. Lord calls us to finish well. No sooner had Gideon established his do-it-yourself ephod, the people of Israel soon followed. And verse 27 tells us, as I just read, that all Israel went whoring after it. All of them. They all played the harlot with Gideon's ephod and lusted after it. It was an object of their affection. And again, verse 28, thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jer- Jerubel, the son of Joash, who is Gideon, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons, seventy sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and he was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father. And Orphrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Baal bereath their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side, and neither showed they any kindness to the house of Gideon according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. After all that the Lord had done for them, Israel soon forgot the Lord their God who had delivered them time and time and time again. Oh, may we never forget what the Lord has done for us. Same old story as they say, same old song and dance. They went a-whoring after Balaam and they made Baal-bereth their God. Having been taken as the spouse of Jehovah, they committed fornication and adultery as a harlot. And as we'll see in future studies, Israel was worse off now than when they first started with Gideon. We often say, you know, one step forward and two steps back. Well, this was more like one step forward and a hundred steps back. It's hard to finish well. It's hard to finish well. Lord calls us to finish well. Well, how do we finish well? i got good news for you. Is there anything we can do to make sure that we finish well? Yes. We've all seen this personally. Uh, We've seen those who worshiped with us consistently for years, those who showed an interest in Christ and His Gospel, but now they're gone. And we scratch our heads sometimes and wonder why. And yet deep down, I think each of us pray, Lord, don't let me fall. Don't let me fall away. Because we... By nature, we're all capable. If those who endure, it's those who endure to the end that'll be saved, and it's those that lay aside, as we read in the beginning, every weight that sin that so easily besets us and runs with patience the race set before us. And you know, I've thought about that so often. How do you run with patience? Well, I'm pretty good at it. 
some, someone said they ran the 100-yard dash one time in uh, 11 seconds, and I said it takes me 11 minutes. But uh, we, but I run with patience. We've got to finish the race. If I may so speak, it's our Lord who has won the gold medal for us. We've run with patience. Where, where we place at the finish doesn't matter. We already have the gold. That's why we can run with patience. Where we finish doesn't matter. The results are already in. Paul wrote, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Well, if I come in last, do I get a gold medal? In this race you do. In this race you do. It doesn't matter where you finish. All that matters is that you finish. Christ is our gold medal. He's obtained eternal redemption for us. Gideon and Israel sought to make their own gold medal. And God won't have it. God won't have it. Gideon's ephod became a snare to his own house and all the house of Israel. Much like the brazen serpent did. You know, after Moses lifted that up high on a pole and the people looked and lived, picturing Christ who's high and lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the, in the wilderness. Why? So that all that looked to Him might be saved. And what did they do after that? They took that thing and they, made, they started worshiping it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we're hard on the people of Israel, but we've done the same thing. And what did Hezekiah do? He ground it into powder. Because the people begin to worship it. And that's exactly what we have here with Gideon's ephod. They begin to worship it. Gideon didn't take his self-made ephod to Shiloh, to Christ, where God met with His people. He took it to his own home city, his own hometown, the city of Ophrah, where he continued to judge the people. But here is something absolutely beautiful. And it just blessed my heart as I studied and thought about it. Regardless of Gideon's sin and his horrible actions here at the end of his life, Gideon is still listed with the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. (laughs) Though you and I must strive to finish the race that is set before us, it's Not how or where we finish, but who finishes for us. We say it often and it's so. It's so. And it's the beauty of the Gospel. I cannot do anything to save myself and therefore I can do nothing to be lost. Not if my righteousness is the very righteousness of Christ. God's not looking at what I've done. He's looking at what Christ has done for me. That's why we don't talk about what we do. (laughs) Haven't we? Haven't we? Oh, no, I don't want to talk about what I've done. It's horrible, horrific. Nothing but sin. Nothing but filthy rags. But I love to talk about what He's done. 
I can't do anything to save myself, but I can't do anything to be lost because I have the very righteousness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be what? Made the very righteousness of God in Him. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. It was given to me justly by the one who gave himself for me. It's not mine by works of righteousness that I've done. It's mine by the righteous work that Christ did for me. But it's as much mine as though I had kept God's law perfectly myself. How do we finish well? Only one way. Only one way. Looking unto Jesus. The author. Uh, my marginal Bible said the beginner. It all began with Him, didn't it? From the foundation of the world. The beginner the, and the finisher of our faith. And the word our there is italicized. Christ is the author and finisher of faith. You see, that's talking about His faith. That's not talking about our faith. Men have made a Savior out of their faith today. Oh, He's a man of great faith. I kind of doubt it. Kind of doubt it. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God because His work's finished, the race has been won, and we rest in Him. That's how we finish well. It's the only way we finish well. How do we finish this race? How do we endure to the end? How do we finish well? In our beginner, in, an, in our finisher, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love verse 28 in this text. I looked at it several times today. It says, And Gideon made the ephod, and he put it in his own hometown, and after his house and the house of Israel worshipped it. And verse 28 says, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more, and the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. Why is that so beautiful? Well, the error of Gideon and Israel and the idolatry that they committed did not in the least alter the promise of God, which is salvation by grace. <laughs> not by what you and I do. It's by what Christ done for us. Salvation is by grace and it has to be God's grace. It has to be sovereign grace. Why you always got to put sovereign in front of grace? Because that's the only kind of grace there is. We have to qualify from what other people call grace. What I hear called grace today, not grace at all. It's a more of a cooperation with the sinner and God. But God's grace is sovereign. It's alone. It's His and His alone. That's how we finish well. You know what? I'm going to finish well because of Him and what He's done for me. To those who are found in Christ, there's, there's going to be quietness, there's going to be peace, and there's going to be rest 
forever. And beloved, it doesn't begin when we get to heaven. It begins right now. If we can but run with patience the race that's set before us. Our victory certain. We've got to finish. We've got to finish. Our substitutes finish the race set before us. But as long as we're in these bodies of flesh, we've got to endure to the end to be saved. That's what the Lord said. Those that endure to the end shall be saved. And the gospel is, having loved His own that were in the world, He, Christ, loved them unto the end. That's why we're kept to the end. That's the only way. We finish well because He finished for us. Our only hope of enduring to the end is being loved by Christ to the end. And listen, He is faithful that promised. Lord calls us to finish well. For Your glory, our good, and for Christ's sake.